Well, it's so good to be with you today as we uh, are here in week number two. Uh, last week, we lit the candle of hope, and some of you, uh, I pray, made some strides in allowing God to restore the hope that maybe had been stolen from you. And this week, we light the candle of peace, and I know some of you struggle with having your peace stolen. Uh, John 10.10 10 says, the thief, Satan, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. And so we know that the evil one wants to steal the good things in our life, the things that God gives to us. So I just want to begin this morning with asking you this question. What comes to mind when you hear the word peace? And if you're like me, maybe you kind of go back to the 60s, and uh, I can't actually go back quite that far in my memory, but I've seen the shows, and uh, I, I wonder if the 60s era actually robbed us a little bit of the true meaning of the word peace, because sometimes we're like, you know, peace out, peace, dude, and you know, what's up, peace, and it's just almost like, hey, dude, what's up? is almost what we've turned it into, and maybe it's slightly more significant than that, but the biblical explanation of peace is so rich and so good. A couple years ago, I told you about the time I, I got to meet um, Dr. Joseph, who had been here in Tulsa, and he stayed with our friends, John and Nancy, that evening, and I got to go uh, just spend some time in their living room, and his story is pretty phenomenal. He uh, volunteered his time as a doctor in the U.S. to fly to Afghanistan and spend weeks, sometimes months at a time there, working in a medical facility, a remote area of Afghanistan that had hardly any type of medical care. And so what he was doing and what that team was doing was providing a, a whole new uh, way of life and hope and help and health for the people in that remote part of Afghanistan. And he grew to deeply love those people. But on one of his trips, uh, he was traveling, and their vehicle was stopped. Several jeeps and armed men jumped out. And before he knew it, he was in the back of a jeep, blindfolded, taken, uh, thrown out, and with guns to his back said, start marching. And he began hiking up a mountain, and he realized he had been kidnapped by the Taliban. And there he was in Afghanistan, walking up a mountain uh, just with his... Uh, uh, clothes that he'd worn to work that day. It was warm in the days, but got very cold at night. Just a short sleeve polo on. And he figured he was probably a dead man. And they, they marched him up the mountain. And if you, if you read his story, and he, there's a book about it, um, he actually goes on to develop an incredible love and compassion for the very men who had kidnapped him. Because he learns to understand the darkness of which they grew up and the hopelessness that they experienced. And he begins praying for them and really develops a deep love for them. But on that first night, one thing that I think I'll always remember is when he told me this story. He said that throughout that night as uh, they had finally kind of settled in and he was uh, leaning uh, against the side of the mountain and trying to sleep a little bit. And he noticed the other men had gathered around the fire because it was very cold. And here he was and the nightfall, but he kept grabbing at the sweater, and when he would grab, he realized he wasn't wearing a sweater. That was just his skin, and the way he describes it was that that night, God's peace was so thick upon him, it felt like a sweater. Don't you want a peace like that? Philippians chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. 
even Christmas shopping. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you want a peace like that? We live in a world full of strife and anger, division, and the truth is that we need peace, but we need peace that is not restricted to the human capacity. We need a peace that uh, is beyond the human ability to even feel peace. We need a peace that can only be given by Christ. Don't you want a peace like that? If you have your Bibles, look in Matthew chapter 1, and I want to read our text to us beginning in verse 18. And we're going to notice how Joseph has an amazing amount of peace in his life. This is how, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. God, I know in a room with this many people that there's plenty of folks here who are struggling with feeling an absence of peace in their lives. And whether it be stress, or loneliness, or fear, or anger, and fighting, whatever it may be, lots of those things can sneak up and can feel like our peace has been stolen. So God, would you speak to us from your word today about how we can have the peace that only you can give. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Peace is not the absence of trouble, rather it is the presence of God. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear that. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Emmanuel means God with us. Consider the troubling news for Joseph. We talked a little bit just last week about the context of the story. You have to know that the Jewish people were living under oppression, under the hand of the Roman Empire, which was pretty brutal at times. We know that the Jewish people wanted their own um, rule their own freedom, uh, but instead the Romans ruled and they were taxing them, sometimes taxing them literally to death. In fact, they were taxing them so much that the Jewish leaders got together a group to go to Caesar to appeal and say, hey, we are being taxed way too much, unfairly, more than you've set apart. And Caesar said, well, I don't really know if that's true or not unless I know how many people live in that area. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken in all the land because the people were being taxed so much. And so Joseph lives in this turbulent time 
where many people would not have peace in their lives. And that's not the end of it. He finds out that Mary, whom he's pledged to be married to, they're engaged, and he finds out that she's pregnant. His heart has had to be broken that she would cheat on him, that his future is now completely in jeopardy. Uh, he maybe has no other plan B of what his future is going to hold, and he's dealing with all of that hurt and that anger, and yet he still does not want to be mean to Mary and punish her as she could have been punished in that day, in that society, but he just wants to kind of do so quietly. And then an angel comes to him and says, No, no Joseph, Mary has not cheated on you, but that God is working this miracle. And so go take her as your wife. And he does. He obeys there. But that's not the end of Joseph's troubles. Then he finds out there's a census, and it's in Bethlehem, and they were in Nazareth. And as the crow flies, that's about 70 miles. So they had to walk, I don't know, 80, 90 miles, something like that, if the, depending how much the path had to twist and turn to get down there. So... We've had lots of babies born around here recently and lots more on the way. It's great. Lynn is going to be so busy downstairs in the nursery. And uh, I know this, that when, that when the ladies are pregnant, the only reason they really want to go walk is to kick in labor, right? If you, you see the pregnant ladies walking around the mall going as fast as they can and they're eating Mexican food at the same time, you're like, okay... She really wants to have this baby now, and it's probably uncomfortable. There's no other reason to be going on a walk, let alone an 80 to 90-mile walk. Ooh. So Joseph and Mary, they take off, and they walk. Uh, we don't know if she was on a donkey or not. That's kind of part of the legend that we've created. We don't really know. I'd like to think so. But that's not the end of his troubles because they finally get to Bethlehem and as my nephew recently worded it, there was no restroom in the inn. That's not exactly what the Bible says. He was a little confused. But there was no room in the inn for them and I imagine there was no restroom either. Uh, so he had that part right. But he gets there, where am I going to stay? She's about to give birth. I can't imagine being Joseph at this time and they finally found a place, but it is not the place where you want to normally give birth. And Jesus is born, and these miraculous things happen, and strangers show up from nowhere and begin worshiping Jesus. And all of these things are happening, but that's not the end of the trouble for Joseph, because an angel appears to him, wakes him up in the middle of the night, and says, get out of here now, because King Herod is jealous that another king would be born, and he wants to kill Jesus, and so you've got to get out of here now. So Joseph doesn't uh, waste a second. He packs up his young family, and they hightail it down to Egypt and have to start kind of life all over. That's not the end of Joseph's troubles. Uh, time passes, and King Herod dies, and kind of think maybe it's safe to move back to this land of Judea around Bethlehem there. And uh, as they're getting ready to go, they learn that well, Herod's son is now, has now replaced him, and he's no better than Herod was. And so they have to kind of reroute again, and they end up back at Nazareth. And so you just look at the first few years of Jesus' life, and poor Joseph, man, that guy, uh, he's having to do everything he can. And yet, somehow, not at one point in the story, do we read that Joseph panics, has, has stress, 
um, tries to take matters all into his, his own hand and loses trust. No, we, we see this just shroud, this sweater of peace that is around him. And I sure want a peace like that, and I think you do too. And there's three things that I kind of see in Joseph's life in this story that I think can be of help to all of us. If we want to have a peace like that, and I just want to tell you those three things. The first is this, listen, listen. There's no peace without listening, and Joseph listened. Consider this, Joseph, I think, is one of the most remarkable figures in all of Scripture, and he gets a little bit of airtime here in Matthew, also Luke. Um, doesn't get a lot of, of, of airtime in the Bible, but more than most. And you know what we never read in the Bible? We never read one recorded word from Joseph. You can look. It's not in there. We know that Joseph spoke. He could talk. But not one of his words made it into the text. That's remarkable to me. And I, I don't want to read too much into that other than to say, what does, what does the text teach us about Joseph? And you know what we do read about him? We read about him listening to God, the angel, to Simeon, to Mary. Later on in life, when Jesus is 12, he's listening to Jesus. Joseph listened. If you neglect to listen in your life, you will find no peace. Proverbs says, where words are many, sin is not absent. You know, there's lots of division in our country, and I would uh, like to theorize that it's not because there's too few words being spoken. Maybe because there's just not enough listening going on. God told Elijah, be still and know that I am God. James said, be quick to listen. If you want to know God and experience the peace that he has for you, we just have to be quiet and to listen to him. We're so busy. Even when we're not physically busy, aren't you often mentally busy? Your mind's going 100 miles an hour, and you're doing this and doing this and doing this, and you get nervous if there's ever silence. I only counted to 10 in my head, and you just got nervous. I mean, we get nervous with silence. What does that tell us? That maybe we're not so good at listening. And there's lots of people we could listen to. Uh, I, the political word these days is echo chamber. That we live, many people are prone to live in an echo chamber where they live in this little place where they only hear the voices they want to hear or their own voice. And they don't hear anybody else that has an, a different opinion or a different perspective than them. And I'm sure that Joseph could have run to an echo chamber. I think he could have found some buddies that said, Joseph, hightail it out of that relationship with Mary. You believe what? Joseph, dude, you just, you ate way too much pizza the night before. That was a weird dream you had, but you can't think about it too much. Get out of there. I'm sure he could have found those voices. But what voices did Joseph listen to? It was the voice of God. To godly people, are you listening this Christmas season in your life? I beg you, find some moments to listen. I know this, that God wants to speak to you. Will you listen? So we have to listen. The, the second thing is, we see this from Joseph, be humble. 
Last week I asked you if you were raising the levels of hope in other people, as Mary did. And this week I want to ask you, are you promoting peace in your own heart, in your family, school, workplace, in your country? Are you promoting peace or antagonism and feuding and turbulence? Arrogance, well that produces fights every time, but humility produces peace. Remember last month we studied through the book of Job, and all of those chapters in Job of the whole big long story, not once does God tell Job, here's why you are suffering. It takes great humility to live this life without having to know why everything happens. And we see this in Joseph's life. He doesn't just badger God with why, 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 why. He, he's just humble enough to say, okay, God, Whatever you say, I will do. Joseph had to know that, especially in his hometown, when his buddies and his family and and the shopkeeper who lives down the street and he walks past every day, when they find out that Mary is pregnant and the story is that, well, it's from God, he knew what would happen to him. Can you imagine? I mean, what would you say parents if your 19-year-old son came and said, oh no, my, no she's not pregnant. She, from me, it's just that God did this thing. Hmm, I don't know about that, Joseph. What would you say? He knew what he was going to get. And what kind of humility does it take to know that you are walking into a place where you're just going to get verbally beat up all the time? You're going to be made fun of. You may lose some of your future your friends, family, we don't know all of the cost. But it takes great humility. And Joseph had it. And I wonder, are you humble? Are you humble enough to let God do in you what he wants to do in you? The third thing, after we listen and we have to be humble, is to obey. And then the second word is important. Immediately. I know parents, have you ever had this happen? You tell your, your little ones, um, it's time to wash up for dinner. What happens? Sometimes it's like they turn into statues. It's like, did my, was my voice, did it even leave my lips? Because everybody's still doing the same thing. So this last week, I tried to kind of uh, cut that one off. And, and I said, hey, kids, it's time to wash up for dinner. And then I walked over to several of them, and I said, so that means no, I can't wait till this chapter is done in your book. And no, it, it means that you cannot get to the next level of your game. You've got to just quit it right now. And no, and, and I was just kind of having fun with that. But the truth is that as adults, we struggle with the same thing. When God says, obey this, when we read scriptures and we feel that little bit of guilt because we know we're out of line with scriptures and we know God is saying, obey me immediately, and we're like, well, I'll wait. I'll wait, I'll wait. When January 1st comes, I'll start some new good habits. When next year comes, (laughs) of course, 2018 is what I was talking about, I'll I'll begin some new things. But Joseph, he obeyed immediately, and there's beautiful clarity to that, a beautiful peace that follows when we obey, like just like that. It, It gets rid of that internal struggle that we feel. How many times do you need to obey God and you put it off and you put it off and what happens on the inside of you? It's turbulence. I want to say three words that stopped me in my tracks a few weeks ago as I was just thinking about this story. And it got real personal for me. Joseph 
adopted Jesus. You ever think about that? Joseph adopted Jesus. Now, legally, I'm not sure how all the adoption system worked back then. My guess was it kind of worked like, yeah, we'll take that kid. (laughs) Um, I, I don't know there was lots of legal paperwork. But I do know this, that in the Bible and in that culture, oftentimes the word fatherless and orphaned are used interchangeably. You know why? Because in many cultures, still even today, and certainly back then, if you were fatherless, it was a lot like being an orphan. Now certainly, from the kid's perspective, it's way better to not lose both mom and dad. But from many standpoints, if you were a kid and your dad died or you had no dad in your life, it meant you were destined for a life of poverty. Perhaps you would have to be trying to work instead of going to school. Uh, There would be um, mocking that might happen when you went to school. There were lots of negative things attached to that. And so Joseph, when he said yes to God, said yes to Mary, said yes to Jesus. And Jesus had his father in heaven. But Jesus also had Joseph to care for him and to love him and provide for him, to even teach him his trade. Joseph took him as his own. You know, God is sovereign and he has a plan. And he had a plan in place that we read throughout as we read the Old Testament and this plan that it seems like, oh man, the whole thing is going to go down and yet somehow God comes in and kind of saves the day and he uses all these unlikely characters through scripture and we get all the way to Joseph. And so I know that God has a plan, but I still just had to ask myself as I was thinking about the last few weeks, what if Joseph would have said no? Like what if he really would have hightailed it out of there? What would have happened? Like what would have happened with Mary and Jesus? And I've been thinking, what would have happened to Joseph? Would he have had so much guilt that he'd have just become the town drunk? Would he have just rebelled with anger and ended up more like Judas Iscariot? Could he have found forgiveness somehow? I I don't know what would have happened to Joseph. All I know is this. I am so glad that he said yes. In fact, he obeyed immediately. Because here's what I know. Part of his obedience is connected to the peace he had in God. Anybody else have this experience? You're at a time in life where you have very little peace. You're really stressed out. Uh, You know, it almost feels like your stomach is upset. And then you begin making really stupid decisions. Anybody else like that? I mean, when we don't have peace in life, we do some stupid stuff. And yet, Joseph keeps making good decisions time and time and time again. It's like the next right thing to do, he does it. Next right thing to do, he does it. Next right thing to do, he does it. How did he do that? I think part of the reason is that he had this great peace that God had placed in his life and he said yes to. And it allowed him to make clear-headed decisions. I'm so glad that he obeyed. And Joseph's obedience wasn't just to the letter of the law. You know, that's what we do a lot of times. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked by somebody, well, is it really wrong if I do blah, 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 whatever? And I almost want to stop them before they say it and say, well, clearly you think it's not the best idea, so are you sure you even need to ask the question? You know, 
is it really wrong when we ask that question? Uh, there's some context to it. The context is the Bible says this, and this is maybe kind of a gray area, um, and I know that it probably won't be the best for me or for others. So can I just go ahead and do it anyway? Can I get away with it? I mean, we ask that question a lot. What did Joseph do? The text tells us that he did not consummate his marriage. He did not sleep with Mary until after Jesus was born. That tells us something about his obedience. It was his prerogative. It was his right. He could have. And instead of just asking, is it right or wrong, Joseph was asking, what is the best way for me to say that I love God and the best way for me to say that I love Mary and the best way for me to say that I love myself and, and, and love people? What is the best thing for me to do? And he said, well, yeah, this would be it. In this way, I honor everyone involved and I, I realize that God is doing something special here and so I will obey to what is best not just down to the letter of the law. And I love that about Joseph. There's something to be learned there about obeying immediately and fully and not just trying to get by with the bare minimum in Christian life because what does God say? He says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength. In January, that's our sermon series. Love God with everything you've got, not just to the bare minimum to try to get by, but with everything that you have. Our vision statement at Highland Park is to help people love God, love others, and serve together. And so our vision here is to help you love God with everything you've got, not just a little bit, not just enough to get by. The Hebrew word shalom for peace meant far more than just peace out, and it meant far more than the absence of war or just the absence of trouble. Shalom meant that well-being comes from God, security, health, freedom, goodness, so that when Old Testament, talking Old Testament, Joseph asked his brothers about his dad, he says, hey brothers, is it shalom with dad? Is everything at peace with him? He wasn't just asking, is dad in a war? Is dad in a fist fight? He was asking is, like, does, is dad's house okay? Is his job okay? Is his health okay? Is everything kind of okay with him? Are things going well for him? And so peace has this much bigger idea than just uh, not getting into a fist fight. It, it's this all-encompassing goodness that God wants to give to us uh, that he puts inside of us. The, the true nature of peace is seen in the company it keeps in the Bible. Listen to the company it keeps. Glory, honor, and peace. Life and peace. Peace and joy. Grace and peace. Love and peace shall be with you. No fewer than six times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. So when God's spirit uh, brings his harvest into our hearts, love and joy is followed by peace. And this peace is ours for the asking. Peace which replaces anxiety. Peace which replaces depression. Peace which replaces the fighting that you have uh, in your soul, in your family, wherever you may be. This peace that can transcend understanding. This peace that you can live your life in such a way that people around you will look and say, I don't get it. 
I don't get how they are living the way they are. I don't understand the peace that they have. When people start saying that about the peace that you have, that's when it's clear that you have the peace that only God can give. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's talking about more than just the brave soul running up to break a fight. He's talking about someone who's been transformed by God to bring about the well-being of others and families, and communities. That's the peace. It's not just a calm feeling, although that's a great benefit. Shalom is complete goodness. All is well. One time after Jesus had performed some miracles, he said, go in peace, because now it was well with that person. When somebody comes hungry to our 220 food pantry, uh, we don't say, um, man, sorry about your troubles, and then slap them on the back and say, go in peace. No, we try to take care of some of their basic physical needs, which oftentimes is a bag of groceries that they help pick out, and then we can give that to them, and then we can say, go in peace, now that things are better with you. In Luke 179, Zacharias sings, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet is what God does, into the path of peace. Simeon was waiting in anticipation of the Messiah. Uh, He saw baby Jesus in the temple, and he said this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, for may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So God's people, or God's peace is for the Israelites and for the Gentiles and for all nations, and that means you and me and all who are far off and speak different languages than us and look differently than us. God's peace is for all mankind. And so this Christmas season, the truth is that there will be times where it will be easy to have your peace stolen. And God is calling you back to a peace that surpasses human understanding, that makes a difference in your soul, makes a difference in your family, makes a difference in your community. To become a peacemaker is what God is calling us to. And we pray that you would experience his peace. This morning, uh, we're going to have, I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And if during that prayer time, if you would like to come forward and have somebody just pray, that you could have the peace that God offers. We would love to pray with you during this next song time or even once things are done this morning. If you would like to find somebody down front, we would love to do that even quietly with you. If you would like to study with somebody, I know a lot of people feel like they have their peace robbed from them and they just want to talk, maybe study privately later this week. Mark on your card. We would love to do that with you. If you would, would you stand? And I just want to pray God's peace for us. God, we... We thank you that you are a God who gives peace that is beyond the human capacity to even really understand, but you give us this great peace that can make a difference in us. We believe that, a real difference, and we need that difference in our lives. So God, I pray for anybody who's not experiencing your peace today, we pray they would leave with it, Uh, saying yes to you as their Lord and Savior dying to the old self, which is full of uh, strife and anger and fighting and saying yes to the God of peace who loved us so much he would die for us so that we could have your peace. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.